Please spread the word about my shows. I'm an independent creator and I would really appreciate it. I make K-pop guides, as well as I have exclusive interviews with songwriters, journalists, the artists themselves, best new music roundup episodes, artist-specific deep dive episodes, episodes about the history of K-pop, all sorts of content is covered. So to get your fill and support an independent creator, please check out 17 Karat K-pop wherever you get your podcasts, and view an episode guide at howtostand.substack.com. Hello everybody, and especially hello to my fellow carrots. As basically part of my unofficial KCON after party, later that week when I flew back to Chicago, I got to go to see Seventeen on their Be The Sun World Tour, the full show review as well as a highlight video of the best performance moments, some cute moments between members, the short and long clips, all in a video compilation linked to in that review as well. That's up now at howtostand.substack.com. Available to free subscribers too, also at 17karatkpop.weebly.com. So full rundown of what happened at the show, in my personal experiences at 17 shows, why they mean so much to me in particular, some personal tones I take in that concert review as well, and at the bottom of the post I link to a ton of my previous 17 dedicated writings, so please check those out there. But now, 17 things we've got to talk about, now that I've seen the Be The Sun World Tour show. So this conversation is for all carrots who are seeing the show, or want to know about what went down, and of course, especially for Chicago Carrots. Very curious what you think about how the show went down. In the comment section, I believe there should be an option on Spotify for that. I'll turn it on for this episode. Wherever you're listening, you can comment or tag me on socials, but I'm very curious about so much of this show and will love your takes on it. So without further ado, 17 things I've been stuck thinking about since seeing the Be The Sun concert in Chicago. Number one, the unofficial pre-show of sorts. I really love that at K-pop shows, they never try to advertise. Like, there aren't just a bunch of ads out there, irrelevant ads or ads for other artists. They don't try to promote other groups or anything. It's just for fans. And it has more of a feel, then, of an authentic just fan gathering. So I always thought that was kind of cool. Whereas with other pop shows, sometimes you'll have a ton of different random ads or ads for different artists that they're really pushing you to see. This was just all 17 all night long. In a really full circle moment because seeing them on the OTU tour was actually my last pre-pandemic concert. Now, years later, they're back at the same venue in Chicago, but it's more full this time. Way more rows of seats full. And they start off the same as they did then. Where in the lead up to the show, they just play their music videos in chronological order. And that was so exciting because it really took me back. The second I got in my seat and I'm watching the videos like I did in 2020 at the same venue, I just had this feeling of being so proud of them, but also so excited to be back going to concerts again. It just felt like a very fun full circle moment. Then the crowd turned up for Cheers. When Cheers was playing, the lights had dimmed early and everyone was rocking out like they were at the club. It was really, really fun to watch. Can't even imagine how good the energy would have been if they did Cheers live. Number two, that opening number. First of all, how immersive. I mean, it was so cool how the the big screens looked like one thing, but then they almost became 4D, like something shot out of the screen, and all of a sudden, a galaxy of stars just exploded in your face, replacing the plain curtains with a beautiful starry sky you are enveloped in. And then came the literal fire. Literal fire, you could feel it from your seat. At least I could. Literally so hot, so high energy, so incredible. 
it was like a meteor had crash landed into the United Center. Really cool visuals and special effects made this such an immersive opening. So it leaves you hooked and just mesmerized by this show from the very, very beginning. Then super fiery follow-ups. Great choice to follow up with March and then a classic hit. I could watch the choreography for Hit on loop my entire life, pretty much. I love the part at the end where Hoshi shoots out flames because it is overkill. Because it's so unnecessary. Already an 11 out of 10 performance, energy-wise, but he still chose to do that anyway, just to prove he can, basically. Like, yeah, we are all that, and then some. The only one who tops us is us. We one-up ourselves. Such a boss move, and shout out to Dino who definitely fulfilled that persona for Hoshi in DC when Hoshi got sick and could not perform. Number three, the Mens. The ending Mens especially. They said the obligatory stuff that's frankly tiresome at this point that every artist seems to always have to say when they're in Chicago, something about the pizza, and then something about the weather. Definitely checked off both of those boxes. Hoshi brought back up his tiger obsession, of course. But I love that this time, unprompted, people caught on. So the second he said tiger claws up, we all put our tiger claws up. Whereas in 2020, that took a little time to teach the crowd. Like, hey, this is my thing. I love tigers. Get used to it. Now we were used to it and ready. But also in his comments, he did show off his more sentimental side too, saying, you know, thank you for coming. It's so cool that despite a language barrier, music unites all of us and is this universal language. So he was classic Hoshi in his ment, talking about tigers and goofing off, but also ending on that sweet note. He also declared himself Hoshikago as his new name, which is so funny and fine by me if he keeps it. Now that's a missed merch opportunity. Another extra exciting funny meant was Escu's because he actually sat out the Chicago show in 2020. So this is my first time seeing him in person. And he was very cool, very awesome. And he reflected on that, how glad he is to be here. But then people just kept woofing for him. And they barked at Juhani at Monster X this year too. So I'm just wondering, is that a new trend at K-pop concerts now? Are we just barking at a certain member? Are we just woofing? Are we just like the second we see them on stage being like woof woof woof? Like I don't understand where that trend started or why it's a trend. And I also don't understand. It's hard to read his face. Like does Esku like this or was he really embarrassed? I couldn't tell what kind of laughter we're talking about. But it made for a memorable ment for sure. And then a third touching moment was when Vernon shouted out his family who he said were in the crowd that night. Number four. Junhan's cast, and in general the members' ailments and stuff, they've already dealt with a lot of physical issues on tour and persevered. I honestly totally forgot Junhan was in a cast because of that elbow injury until I saw it, and he actually is the one who drew attention to it when he wrote Carrot on it in big marker. So he wore this giant white cast that said Carrot. Without seeing the sling he intentionally directed your eyes toward, I kind of forgot he had it. Then again, you're reminded with that cute glittery silver one he wore later. But wow, I was so amazed. He was so, so professional. Didn't miss a beat. Did not matter. He had a cast. He still pulled off every dance move. Still was at the top of his game. He probably could have found a way to excuse himself from the show entirely, but he was very committed and he really pulled through. There is a whole other conversation to be had about being overworked and how K-pop artists can be overworked all too often, but that's for another day. I really genuinely believe Junhan wanted to perform and it was his choice too. 
I feel very fortunate that I was able to see my all-time faves, all 13 of them, because this tour has kind of been on and off missing members because of COVID, catching COVID or having to quarantine. So I feel very blessed that I was a tour stop where they were all there. And Mingyu really embraced that to the fullest. I love this moment where he, he just strutted to the runway in the second stage and just knelt down with his arms wide open like a true rock star before they smashed their guitar or something. Like he was, when everyone said Mingyu's back and we're cheering, he embraced that moment like he was posing for a movie poster. And he really was. He brought the energy. Trust me, his fancy footwork and stuff, way more impressive even in his personality, his mental presence, actually just being mentally present while performing. It really shines when you're right up close to him. So Mingyu was a gem, and it was great to see all of them. Shout out to Carrots in DC, who sang Joshua's part of 2 minus 1 because he couldn't do it. Because of COVID, Joshua was out. So for that show, Vernon was on stage alone, which is kind of sad. But all the fans sang Joshua's parts. And the videos I've seen of that are quite touching. Although, admittedly, it's kind of darkly funny that they actually brought 2 minus 1 to life. Literally, that stage is now 2 minus 1. They're that good at being artists. They bring their songs to life without even trying. Number 5. The Venue's Layout. What do you guys think of the format of the venue? And if you got a floor seat, was it worth it? Especially if you got like a VIP floor seat. See, we're up toward the front. There was a front stage and a second stage and a runway connecting them. Seventeen spent a good amount of time on that second stage closer to other parts of the crowd. So if you got an extra expensive ticket toward the front of the first stage, you were not only not near them for like half the show, but you were also very low to the ground because the floor seats are really low. United Center stage is so high, it's like you're in a pit, like a literal pit, in a basement or something of this place looking up at them. So was it worth the extra cost if you sat up there? I'd personally say for some arena shows like at United Center, it's better to get a seat, not just like on the floor, but just a seat on the side because the stage is so high up. So if you want to get eye level with them, it's better to be elsewhere. And then you can see them on the front and back stages. This time I really just fangirled to indescribable extremes because I had the best seat in the house, truly. I just have to brag for a second. I had a spot directly across from them really not that many feet apart, right up front, on the side. So whenever they came over to the second stage and went over to my side of the stage, like I was looking at them. I was dancing with Joshua, okay? I was looking at Joshua and he could have looked at me. No one can prove he didn't. It was a rare occasion where I didn't have to watch the show via the screens. I actually watched them because they didn't look like little specks of people. I could see the actual people, like in the flesh, the members, they were all there. Really, really, I mean, imagine being so in awe and in love, basically, with the group that you dedicate a podcast to them called 17 Karat K-Pop. Spend so many years being so grateful for their music's impact on your life. Write endless essays about them and how their discography has gotten you through some tough times. Then all of a sudden, you're face-to-face -face with them for a whole night. That's basically my experience. So, yeah, I'm gonna just brag for a second because I felt so freaking elated just seeing them all so up close. Alright, moving on. Number six, the looks. They were really serving for this tour. 
I really thought they couldn't get better in any area after seeing the OTU tour back in 2020, but they really outdid themselves, and their wardrobe was no exception. And I don't know if it was intentional, but some of the ways they seemed to level up and prove their back and better were like when in the 2020 show they wore these silver beaded black outfits. This time they wore similar black outfits with gold beads. That's an upgrade. Another upgrade with the performance team. Last time they wore all white outfits. This time they did too, but with way more glitter and sparkly stuff. Lots of rhinestones. June was exceptionally good-looking in that white outfit, with the platinum blonde hair, the glittery ankle boots. I mean, he looked like he was ready for the retro disco dance party. Like, he's the kind of person who dressed like people thought they looked like in their 80s outfits, 80s or 90s outfits. Like, not the looks where you look back and think, what was I thinking? But the looks, what you had in your head at the time of, oh, that's what I want to look like. He's the ideal. People thought they looked like that. So June was serving, and also I would say best dressed is Mingyu. Mingyu was really just so hyped to be back, and he just looked like such a rock star. And again, I was fangirling because he was by me a lot by that side of the stage. So I got like an up-close side profile for a lot of performances. Seeing his wavy hair and the leather pants and the sheer shirt, I mean, what is there to say? I'm speechless. I love the metallic outfits for Shadow. Then there were the sporty looks for left and right. Curious what you think about the eights. Orange vest, orangey red vest. That may be a polarizing choice. But on the whole, I thought the ensembles were really eye-catching for good reasons. Number seven, the crowd. Last time I remember some notable crowd members, like those who dressed up as literal carrots, like the vegetable. This time I saw a banana, probably some other random foods in the crowd. One girl had quite a costume. This inflatable alien outfit that had little inflatable baby legs in front. So her real legs were kind of hidden. And in the outfit, it looked like she was the baby the alien was holding. Really eye-catching and confusing, but you do you. There were a lot of cool eye-catching looks. I saw a lot of cowboy hats, nods to the hot music video, and similar ones dripping with rhinestones, like in the Cheers video. So people were dressed to impress, as they usually are in K-pop crowds. One girl who looked super cute was an eight-year-old there with a bunny ear hat. She was definitely one of the youngest people there. So that's another thing I'm curious what you think about, is the diversity or lack thereof in the ages of attendees, because I feel like K-pop shows vary widely. I've been to K-pop shows like BTS that are so, so diverse. All ages, all gender identities, everyone's there. This time in in the past, for 17, it's been very much mostly people my age, early 20s, or kind of around there. Like, all very my generation, it seems. Obviously, there are exceptions, but the majority. So I'm curious what you've noticed at different K-pop shows, the audiences they draw, maybe the reasons you think they draw that. I personally think it's rare to see little kids at K-pop shows because K-pop really took off in the U.S. starting around 2017. So the generation who feels like we really connected with these idols and we bonded over their stuff with peers and we grew up with them a little as we entered a new era of life as teenagers, they're all around my age. So with groups like Seventeen, who really just took off career-wise in the late 2010s, just as we were becoming adults, it makes sense to me that the fandom would, at least the concert-going fandom, would be all around that age. 
because the young kids haven't had a chance to grow up with these groups. So it's just a different experience. But I'm curious what you think. The crowd this time definitely had a lot more sass and funny signs than the last time. People came with like that pent up emotion and this new boldness after the pandemic where they're like, you know what, screw it, let's do the funny signs. So the bad B words love June. That was really interesting. A lot of dino puns for Dino. I saw a gentle sexy sign, a nod to Joshua's nickname, we love. Some fun pickup lines like, let me snap shoot my shot. There were also interesting ones like Latinas love Mingyu that made me think, oh, that's interesting, I guess. There are some interesting preferences, different biases for different types of people. I don't know. But it was very interesting to see different signs for different members. Number eight, two minus one, Joshua and Vernon song. Two things I wanted to say about that. One is, when they performed, I really got a glimpse of who they could be as soloists down this pop-punk route with solo work, especially with Vernon. Like, seeing him, I pictured him doing solo stuff and just thriving. I had this glimpse of him in the future as I watched him. Like, wow, he's in his moment. He's really vibing. He's really loving this. This is a proud moment for him. This is the kind of music and sound he loves to work with. He is just thriving with this song really brought home how much he does well with this kind of song. But the second thing I wanted to mention was I'm curious, would you guys prefer more collabs with them, like official a Joshua Vernon subunit, or would you prefer new combinations of members being duos in the future? Like if other albums in the future have their bonus tracks, do you want more Joshua Vernon bonus tracks, or do you want different pairings? And were there any pairings you would have loved to see during the show? I would love Still the Day. They hopefully make time for some solo stages so I can see Ruby live, Side by Side live, all that good stuff. I really want to see Hoshi do Spider live. That would be incredible. I would have also loved to see Mingyu and Wanwu do Bittersweet, Joshua and DK do the song 17. Maybe Pink Sweats is a special surprise guest for that. Just spitballing here. Number nine. Speaking of interesting duos, now let's talk unit stages. Again, the performance team really impressed with their energy. Like, they were bringing these songs to life in a brand new way, making them feel so house party ready, and they were posing and dancing like they were voguing, practically. I mean, they were eating it up. They were giving everything they were supposed to. I also think Back It Up by the hip-hop team was a unit stage standout, because Back It Up Live is just such a freaking banger. It felt like the ultimate, just club-ready banger. It was just so good live. Number 10, their sketches, I call them. The moments that are scripted, kind of Disney movie-esque, corny, over-the-top, little sketches, basically. The theatricality of it all. That's always part of their shtick, basically. I really love that they do that. It's just part of their cute quirkiness as a group. And this time, they did that again. They had a whole, where is Vernon scene, and then they had a scene with DK playing the role of like a, a sergeant meets sports coach, ordering them to move left then right, left then right in unison. You can probably guess what song he was introducing. Just the way they introduce songs with goofy little moments like that, I've always really appreciated. So I just wanted to shout that out. I remember they did that before on the OTU tour, and they had a whole scene where they were like, we've got to hide. And again, very live theater-esque. They all posed in really funny ways. Like, if they're still enough, they won't be able to see them. It was a whole thing. You had to be there. 
Number 11, the VCRs. The transition videos at K-pop concerts, I always pay close attention to because you never know what kind of Easter eggs will pop up, what kind of details you really need to take notes on if you're a big music video storyline theorist like I am. So I definitely low-key took notes in my phone during the VCRs to remember these details because this is the kind of weirdo I am. And I found a lot of interesting telling details in their VCRs that link back to the Face the Sun solo teaser videos. In the VCR, the 8 was staring into this cracked mirror. The mirrors were also part of the symbolism in the video for Cheers, one of their newer songs. Now it's a cracked mirror before it was amazing mirrors. Either way, it's an obstacle or something's wrong with the picture. There's also a scene in the 8's teaser video where he lay down in the middle of the road and in the VCR, Woozy is in the middle of the road now. And he's there with a piano, which is a symbol we've seen by him time and time again, and with Mingyu. Some members were by a flame or a fire or a lit match. That symbolism we could go on about for ages, but that's been a recurring theme, especially for this new era. June actually was surrounded by flames in the teaser video, and he had this backdrop of a starry night sky, which is also the backdrop Wanwu got in the VCR. He was the one who was outside at night. When it was dark out, and it was winter, it was snowing. Makes total sense to me because Wanwu was the character who stepped on his glasses in the hot video and really symbolized that transition out of his daily self into a new him, stepping into a new world, a new way of doing things. And now in the VCR, he was representing that changing of the seasons too. He's ready to enter a new spring. The empty bathtub symbolism was also back. Vernon was there in his Face the Sun teaser video with a goldfish, and the goldfish is back in the VCR in June's video. Look, the red string bulletin board theorizing I did, connecting all these different characters who share symbols with other characters now in the VCR, you can probably picture it, and it's pretty much the meme exactly. Then there is Soon Guan who was surrounded by flashing red lights. In his previous teaser video, he dealt with that big emergency button. He was in a state of alarm as well there. The flashing lights also came from Joshua's teaser. They pretty much made sure everyone's teaser video got a symbol or a message shared and incorporated into a VCR. Then there's the obvious symbolism at the end, when the members all disembarked from this elevator that opened up into this new world that awaits them, out in a field, like the field setting in the Darling video. Number 12, The Setlist. Hot Margin Hit. We talked about how that was just an explosive trio to start off the show. Then came Rock With You in 2 minus 1. What do you guys think of the rest of the set list? There was Moonwalker, Wave, Come To Me, Imperfect Love, Game Boy, Back It Up, Monse, Left and Right, Very Nice, Shadow, Crush, and Underscore World before the finale. The Encore had Darling, Our Dawn Is Hotter Than Day, and Snapshoot. What do you guys think about Very Nice being in the setlist too? The members actually said during the show, we did that just to throw you off because you expected it not till the finale, which is cute and funny, if true, but with so many songs now in their discography, I kind of wish they didn't do that and save Very Nice for the end, made time for then another song, but that's just me. I personally think this was a good variety in their set list, but honestly, my favorite 17 songs ever, none of those were in here. Pretty You, such a sweet gem. Nope, not here. Smile Flower, not here. 
Getting Closer is just everything. One of my all-time favorites, not here. Some of their most iconic ever, actually, surprisingly weren't here, like Clap. They're probably sick of that song, but still. So that goes with number 13, The Encore. Curious what you guys think of that. I do love that they ended with Snapshoot, before, of course, Aju Nice. It was cute, they had all this time for different freestyle moments. I have a lot of cute videos of the members freestyling and reacting to each other's freestyling of Snapshoot on that highlight video linked to through my substack. That went on a long, long time, and I loved that. I love that not just the encore, but the last portion of Seventeen shows always seem drawn out. Like, they get through the traditional set list in the blink of an eye. The night is still young. But then the encore is like a third of the length of the show because they really do draw out the choruses, the dance breaks, etc. And I kind of love that. It's like they know the night was moving too fast too, so they want to slow it down to extend their time with us. Number 15, the endless version of Very Nice. This I really am curious about, if you went to the Chicago show. After they said goodbye and went under the partition, did they come back again? Their whole thing, for those who don't know, is they come back for Very Nice again and again and again. I mean, on the Ode to You tour, it was probably like eight times. I mean, it was excessive and so funny. Like, they would say, bye, that's it, have a good night, and then run back out on stage. And Aju Nice, the chorus would start again. We'd all start dancing and jump in. The confetti would come back. The energy would come back. Then they would wrap it up. They would take a bow. Then they'd be like, psych, and they'd come back. And they went so far as to go beneath the partition, close the curtains, wave goodbye, and then say, do you want us to come back? And then they would come back. And it just kept happening. But this time with the partition, I don't think they came back after that. I really slowly left that venue because I kept looking behind me, waiting for them to reappear, and as long as I took to get out of there, I didn't hear or see anything. So please let me know if you did, or if they really did just leave after that partition closing, because I was ready for more Sykes. I think they did fewer rounds than the incredible amount they did on the OTU tour. I also honestly think I prefer the version of the whole gimmick they did before when they went all the way, like behind the curtain, back and forth. This time, they mostly just kept doing rounds of the chorus on the second stage. So the joke was not so much, oh my gosh, how many times will they come back? It was just, oh my gosh, how many more rounds of the chorus are they going to do? So overall, the things we had to discuss. The unofficial pre-show of sorts that kicks off every Seventeen show. The opening number choice. The Ments. Junhun's cast. Other members' ailments they powered through. The venue's layout and the seating. The looks. The crowd and fans' behavior and signs. 2 minus 1, the unit stages, the sketches, the theatrical fun they always add to the show, the VCR content, Ningyu just serving, the set list, the encore, the Aju Nice endless version. Then the other two things, one is just my overall takeaway. I really dive into on my substack, a big takeaway about what makes them so remarkable as performers. I'll save that for the very end. But then the other thing, number 17 on this list of things we have to talk about, is an overall recap of which was better, the Ode to You show or the Be the Sun show. And I thought about this very carefully. Here's what I came to, but I would love to know what you picked. I looked at the show based on different categories in whether or not I liked it better this time or last time. And here's what happened. Feel free to do this yourself and see. Category 1, which tour had the better outfits? I vote for this one for the reasons we already said. Which tour had the cooler opening number? 
I already talked about Hot, which is my pick, but then there is the ODU one, where they all came on stage for getting closer with the black leather outfits, the black semi-hooded leather outfits with the tall collars, looking like movie villains, each member coming in onto the stage from a different location, very just dark and dramatic. This time it was dramatic too, but all about the sun, which is kind of the opposites. What do you think about the best unit stages? I honestly just made this point go to both shows equally, because it was a mixed bag. I think I prefer some performances last time more. The vocal team, I think, just did more songs, period, last time. The performance team last time, they did Lily Yabai, and that choreography is so mesmerizing. The ways their body movements are linked and then unlinked again. The synchronization. It's just so next level that I have to say, that's my favorite out of that versus this time's Wave performance and Moonwalker. But the hip-hop team, I like them more on the Be The Sun tour. Last time they did Trauma and then Chili, which is kind of a funny back and forth. This time though, again, Back It Up Live was just so next level headbang worthy. Which show had a better turnout? Not quantitatively, just the fans you liked more. The crowd was better. I like the energy and the sass and the personality of the Be The Sun crowd more than the OTU crowd. Which show do you think showed the members with better, like, sketches, stage presence? I would say Be The Sun, but actually last time I did love all the act natural moments. Last time Hoshi also played teacher, basically. He made a big fuss over teaching us correctly how to say what time is it in Korean. That was the whole thing. I think Hoshi talked a lot more last time, commanded the room more. Which show do you think had better choreography? This was really hard for me to pick. So I decided OTU, but just slightly edging out Be The Sun. Just because I love some of the choreography of the songs that OTU had on the setlist that Be The Sun didn't, like Getting Closer, Clap, Fear, Liliabai, a lot of my all-time favorite routines were in the setlist for OTU. But this time they continued to have just ridiculously in-sync, mesmerizing choreography. Which show had better special effects? This one for sure. The fire, the confetti, and I love that they didn't make it wait till the end. Like, they treated every single song, every stage, like it could have been the grand finale number. They pulled out all the stops for every single song. You never knew which songs would get the flames, the confetti blasts, etc. Which show had the better encore? The whole Aju nice endless reprise. I have to pick Ode to You because that one was much longer. The longer it is, the funnier and better I find it. Which show had better ments? I would honestly say Ode to You. More memorable ones for me. They said some nice things again this time, but I'm just a sucker for what Joshua says, because he's my bias. And last time it felt like he was speaking into my soul. Like he was speaking directly to me, to my core. Talking about, I hope tonight is a special decompression night, away from struggles in life, just a mental escape. And it was just very touching. This time, though, he did remind me why he's my bias, because of the thoughtfulness of his comments. He focused on thanking second, third, fourth floor attendees who were watching the show from so high up. He was like, even if you can't have a good view, you still came out for us. That means a lot. Which tour had a better set list? Ode to you. But I love the variety in both, arrow-wise. They really have tried to pay tribute to so much of their discography. Which tour had better VCRs? Ode to you.
OT's VCR plot was more cinematic to me. This time it still had all the interesting easter eggs, video tie-ins, but more just dramatic long close-ups. There was more action to watch unfold last time when they had the whole plot of passing around those letters like a secret code. Kind of home run video-esque. I like that more. So outfits, opening number, unit stages, the crowd, stage presence, choreography, special effects, VCRs, encore, ments, set list, and here's what happened. Be the Sun tour got six wins, one in six categories for me. The ODU tour, six wins. It is a tie. So that answers that question, sort of. Let me know what you get. Which tour was better? They really are just so good. If you're curious era-wise what they've paid tribute to on the two different tours, let's look through these different parts of their discography, and I'll tell you which ones they paid us to or didn't. 17 Carat, no songs from it this time, one from the Ode to You tour. Last time they sang one song from Boys B, and one song this time too. From Love and Letter, three last time, only one this time. From All One, none this time, one last time. Going 17, two last time, none this time. Director's Cut, one last time, none this time. Teenage, three last time, none this time. You Make My Day, one last time, three this time. You Made My Dawn, almost all of it, none this time. From An Ode, three last time, three this time. Then there's newer stuff. Hangary had one this time. Semicolon had no songs played for either tour. The Home Run Era, Dust. Come on, vocal team. You could have done All My Love Live. Anyway, this time we got two songs from Your Choice, three from Attica, five from the newest release, Sector 17. They picked the best B-sides, by the way, from Sector 17, although Don Quixote would have also been cool live. As for extras, OSTs, the BSS subunit, they did two of those extras last time, none this time out of official releases. So this time, they really only did two songs that came out before You Make My Day. Then everything afterwards became their focus this time. Which makes sense, but it's just an interesting divide. And that semicolon is the main era with no place in either setlist. So that's the case unless, for some reason when I officially kept track of the setlist back in 2020, the note I may have saved may have had an error. Otherwise, that's the case. If you want to decide for yourself which tour setlist you prefer, here you go real quick one more time. Just pause and play, pause and play if you want to write this down, because I'll go pretty fast. For Be The Sun, it was Hot, March, Hit, Rock With You, 2-1, Moonwalker, Wave, Come To Me, Imperfect Love, Game Boy, Back It Up, Monse, Left and Right, Very Nice, Shadow, Crush, Underscore World, Respect the Underscore, Darling, Our Dawn Is Hotter Than Day, Snapshoot, and Very Nice. OTU setlist was, in Chicago at least, Getting Closer, Rock, Clap, Thanks, Don't Wanna Cry, Trauma, Chili, Lily Abai, Shh, as in S-H-H, Hug, Don't Listen in Secret, Smile Flower, Space, Adore You, Pretty You, Oh My, Good to Me, Just Do It, Happy Ending, Fear, 19, Hit, and Very Nice. Alright, very curious what you thought of the show. I will just say one final thing. I really lay it out way more in detail, my feelings about Seventeen personally, on my Substack. So go there if you want to find out, what is the big deal? Why do you love this group so much? Why do you find them so incredible? Just objectively trying to get into my neutral music critic mindset, and subjectively, why I think they are all that. They are very special. 
this show really solidified to me why I think that they really are just masterful at what they do. They know how to make a show so interactive, so immersive, so fast, time flies by, such a treat for your eyes, ears, senses, and given my sensory issues, I've talked about at length before on the show, to find a way to kind of have those senses work together towards one thing only, which is watching their performances, really is very cool to finally have that kind of therapeutic, immersive escape from the typical noise that fills my head every day. So I'm endlessly grateful to Seventeen for bringing to life a discography that has always been there for me. Really means a lot. You just are one-upping yourselves, continuing to top your own game. I'm amazed, so excited for what your future has in store. And your discography just keeps getting so incredibly varied and lengthy that you can continue to amaze us, changing up the set list and covering even more songs, old and new, creating a brand new, wonderful, interactive, immersive experience with every tour. So here's to many more years of 17. And I have to say it, cheers! Thank you guys for listening. If you go, have fun. If you already did, congrats. And I will talk to you all again very soon. Bye, everybody.